And I want to take you on a journey today. We're going to go through some dark territory before we end up in the light. We're going to journey through the finality, the reality of death, so that we can really understand what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Next week we'll celebrate Easter and, you know, if we just knew from the the newspaper advertisements, we'd think it was all about candy and Easter eggs. The reality is that 2,000 years ago, there was a rabbi teacher who was a little bit scruffy and a little bit out of the box in his day for a religious teacher. And he claimed that he was God. Now, obviously, this man was either insane and crazy or he was actually God. There's not a whole lot of room for other options. How many people who are just a good man or just a good teacher say, I am God. I am the only way to heaven. Not, I'll show you the only way to heaven, but I myself am. These are claims that Jesus made. You know what else he said? He said, uh, forgiveness of sins, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name among all nations. Now, when he said this, he had kind of a motley band of followers. They didn't own any land. They didn't have any headquarters. They didn't have any army or any organization. And this teacher, it's documented in the Gospels. We have manuscripts that are almost 1,900 years old that record Jesus saying, Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name among all nations. What an outrageous claim. And yet here we are. 2,000 years later. And next week on Easter Sunday, literally billions of people on every continent of the world will gather in churches and they will hear preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. So maybe you're here and you don't even believe in a God right now. That's okay. You're welcome to, to, to keep coming here and seeing what we're all about. But the reality is you have to acknowledge there's a historic man who claimed, I am God and forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name among all nations. And 2,000 years later, we look back and there hasn't been a single Christmas or Easter or Sunday in 2,000 years that forgiveness of sins has not been preached in Jesus' name. This is an incredible man. A man who claimed not only that he was the only way, but that he was the resurrection and the life. Now, to understand what that means, we have to understand the finality of death. The finality of death. What do I mean by that? I mean that no matter how much wealth or power or influence you accumulate in this life, there is a stone wall speeding toward you, the wall of death. It doesn't matter if you're Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, or Vladimir Putin, or Barack Obama, the wall of death is speeding towards every single one of us. No one can buy their way past this barrier. No one can make enough relationships and accumulate enough power to defeat death. It's coming for all of us. And because it hasn't come yet, we we often live in kind of this sanitized reality thinking that it's not going to come. You know, uh, it used to be years ago that when someone would die, they would die in your home. And you would smell it. And you would dig the dirt. And you would bury the person. Now we're, we're very separated from these things. 
person is at the hospital, and then we just see them again. We see their, their shell of a body. God says that we have a soul in us that lives for eternity. This body is a tent that's temporary. We go to the funeral home, and we see an open casket, and we see this kind of plastic skin that, that the people at the funeral home have made. And, and, and that's what we, we know of death. And we don't really think of it too much until it happens. But when it happens, we realize the finality of it. Over the weekend, I read an essay by a gifted American writer. He's not a believer. And in this essay, he's talking about the death of his dad. His dad was only 49 years old when he was speeding through some winding back roads in Pennsylvania. And his white and red and chrome Yamaha R1 racing motorcycle somehow left the road, ran into a guardrail. And this this young writer who doesn't have the hope that we have in Jesus, he spends this essay describing how he, he sets about to interview everyone connected with the death. And he kind of thinks if he can just get a little more information... If he can just understand a few more things, then then maybe this emptiness in him, this grief, this realization of the finality of death after his dad's funeral, maybe if he can just get some more info or do a few more things, maybe that grief will go away. So he talks to the county coroner, whose, whose name, no joke, last name is Grim, as in the Grim Reaper. He talks to the people who did the autopsies. He talks to the elderly couple who, who lived near that guardrail and, and heard the accident and came out and, 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 and saw his dad pinned underneath that guardrail and, and sat there with him until an ambulance came. He talks with the other guys who were out riding motorcycles with him that day. And as he continues in this search and as he gets this inheritance from his dad and just stops working for a while because there's enough blood money, he calls it, to live off of, he finds that there's nothing he can do to fill the emptiness inside him. Here's how he describes his grief. Quote, planted like a sequoia in my stomach. Its roots reaching far down into my legs for water. Its branches reaching up through my arms and torso and neck. The poison from its fruit spilling into my cells. And the final words of his essay are, I recognize no significance, no connection, just an empty space. This is the finality of death. And until we meet it face to face, we don't really understand the finality of death. There's a finality when there's a space on the couch or an empty lazy boy that is now empty and used to be occupied. Of a bed that's empty. Of an office that's empty. Of a casket that's not empty. This is the reality, the finality of death that we find Mary and Martha living in, in our scripture text today. You see, Mary and Martha, they knew Jesus. Mary and Martha lived in this little village called Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus spent a lot of time in Bethany because Jerusalem was was the center of religion and politics, and it was the metropolis of the area. So Jesus was often in Jerusalem, but as we know, Jesus liked to get away. 
And Bethany was one of his frequent retreats. He'd go two miles out to Bethany, and there he had become friends with these sisters, Mary and Martha. And he had become friends with their brother, Lazarus. And the real grief for Mary and Martha was not only that their brother had died, and their brother was gone. And when we find them in the story, he's been dead for four days. But their grief was even more. It was that they had sent message to Jesus. See, they had seen Jesus heal the blind. They had seen Jesus heal all sorts of sicknesses. And they knew they had this faith. If we can get the message to Jesus, Jesus can come and heal Lazarus and he won't die. And they got the message to Jesus. And that courier came back and said, yeah, I delivered the message. And Jesus didn't show up. Jesus, it seemed, didn't didn't care about them. At least that's how it felt. And day after day, Jesus doesn't show up, and then Lazarus dies. This is where we find Mary and Martha in our story today. And it's in this situation, it's in this finality of death, that Jesus is going to step in, and he's going to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And four days after Lazarus' lifeless body has been sealed in his grave, four days into the heaving sobs of Mary and Martha, four days after it seemed like Jesus was too late and didn't care, we're going to see him do what nobody expected. Our text today teaches us that Jesus can raise dead things and bring life Long after it seems that he's too late. I wonder where could you use a resurrection in your life right now? Maybe it is the death of a loved one like Mary and Martha. You're living in that emptiness of spaces at your workplace or in your home where you used to see that person and they're just not there. Maybe it's the death of a dream, something that you worked your whole life for. And, and situations have changed in such a way that you realize there's a finality, there's an end to this, and it's not going to work. Maybe it's the death of your, your youth and your vitality. You just realize that you're not quite as strong and capable as you used to be, and, and you try to deny that, but uh, it's just starting to, to show through. And you can't deny the finality that the death of your prime years physically have passed. It's the death of some key part of your identity. Maybe you've built your identity on being successful or looking good. You've built your identity around some things that, that because of the way you were raised, because of your childhood, these are, this is part of your heart, this is part of who you are, and now that part of you, that success, that way you look is, is gone. All sorts of deaths that we face in our lives? Where could you use a resurrection in your life? What in your life has died and seems hopeless? And I want to ask you, as we prepare to look into God's word, into this text, will you invite the Holy Spirit of God, will you invite the resurrection and the life to speak to you today about that area that seems hopeless, about that area that is so discouraging? I also wonder this, who in your life needs resurrection? 
who in your life does not yet know Christ as their Lord. And when it comes to spiritual things, it's almost like talking to a dead person. There's nothing in them that sees their need for God. And and, and you cry over them and you pray for them and you think, Lord, you know, how are you going to bring them to you? If there's someone in your life like that, as we look at today's text, will you be inviting the Holy Spirit to encourage you that Jesus is alive today? He is the resurrection and the life, and he still raises people from the dead. He still raises us spiritually. I wouldn't be standing here if he didn't. I'm not some good person in my own nature. I was a dead person who God raised to life, and he's given me a new life. Well, in our scripture today, we're going to see that when God's timing differs from yours, he hasn't forgotten you. When his plan differs from yours, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. And we'll see that the sicknesses, the dead ends, the deaths and disappointments of this life, they don't have to be an end for you. They don't have to be a prison for you if you believe in Christ. You see, it would have been an incredible, incredible statement for Jesus to say, I perform resurrections and I give life. If Jesus had said that, it would have set him apart from everyone in history. There's no, no physician, I don't care how great a physician is, who can give life. There's doctors who can save life. There's no one out there who can perform a resurrection after four days in a grave, in the ground, with no life support, no, nothing pumping the heart, four days of total death, perform a resurrection. If Jesus had just said, I can perform resurrections, I can give life, this would have been an outrageous outstanding claim, but Jesus takes it up another level when he says, I myself am the resurrection. I myself am the life. In other words, it's not only that Jesus can perform resurrections or save lives. He himself is the sole source of resurrection power and life in the universe. John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was the one who spoke before there was a planet earth. Before there were animals or people, it was he who spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. It was, it was he who, who took some, some dust, some clay, and breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living thing. It's an important distinction that Jesus is not a practitioner of life and resurrection. He himself is resurrection and life. It's incredible. We're going to see how this story connects with Easter directly as we get to the end of our time today. Pick the text initially because we're starting a series on I am. Jesus has all these claims. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. We're starting this series today that's going to continue after Easter about Jesus' I am statements. And I thought, well, it'd be good to start the week before Easter with I am the resurrection. And it wasn't until I got deep into our text that I realized something I'll reveal for you guys at the end of our time of how this text connects with Easter in a really 
unexpected way. But let's turn now to John chapter 11. If you're not there, let's read the text together. And again, would you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as we do? Context of John 11 is that Jesus is a hunted man. He's not in Jerusalem very often anymore because the power people in Jerusalem want him dead. So let's start reading and and learn about the situation here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, Bethany, as I mentioned, it's about two miles outside of Jerusalem. It's actually a really nice little village with a whole bunch of palm trees. It's in the foothills of the Mount of Olives. And it was a nice getaway community, you know, kind of like people who work in L.A. or Chicago and an hour or two outside of the city, they have a Napa Valley or they have a really nice home just outside of the city. This was a little bit of a, a getaway like that. And Jesus went there so often that he knew Mary and Martha and Lazarus well. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's a, that's a whole other story that we'll tell some other day. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, earlier we asked, where do you need a resurrection in your life? Keep, keep thinking about that as we go through this text. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But rabbi, teacher, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? In other words, Jesus is choosing, when the time is right, to go back and see Mary and Martha. He's choosing to walk toward his death. He's choosing to walk into pain and suffering in order to help them. And so his disciples say, whoa, whoa, Jesus, what are you thinking? And he's going to tell them, essentially, I'm here to do my father's will. I go where the Father tells me to go. Let's skip down to verse 16 for sake of time. Then Thomas, called Didymus, not a cool nickname. There's a rapper with a nickname kind of like that, Diddy or something. Then Thomas, he was a disciple. (laughs) Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, you know, we know Do- Thomas is doubting Thomas, right? But here, when Jesus says, I'm walking back towards the place where people want to kill me, it's Thomas who says, let's go, we'll die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come from Jerusalem to Mary and Martha to comfort them, to mourn with them. Verses 20 through 22, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. So put yourself in the shoes of Jesus and the disciples, okay? Bethany's a place that has a lot of people connected to to Jerusalem. The power people in Jerusalem want to kill Jesus. So Jesus doesn't just parade right into the middle of Bethany, okay? We don't know the details, but it's almost like he's kind of on the outskirts, maybe hiding somewhere. They send someone in to Martha. Martha comes out to meet him in a safe place. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, 
If you had been here, you ever feel that way? About the thing that's the finality of death in your life? Jesus, if you had just been here, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Such a nuance in this passage. Martha has this great faith in Jesus, and yet she is totally human in her emotion. She's real about the fact that that she is grieving. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, oh, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I think this is such a neat verse. Martha has this faith that we can have today in our deaths and disappointments. She says, oh, Jesus, I know, I have no doubt the day is coming at the end of the earth when you return and set everything right that he'll rise then. I I know that, Jesus. Do, Do you know that about the deaths and the disappointments in your life, that Jesus will make them right? Jesus responds to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she tells him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, this is why the Pharisees, the power people, wanted to kill Jesus because he was claiming that he wasn't just a good teacher, that he was God. Martha gets this. Martha believes this. And after she had said this, she goes back and she calls her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village. You already knew that, thanks to our little commentary, okay? But was still at the place where Martha had met him on the outskirts. When the Jews who were there grieving with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and left, they followed her, supposing that she's going back to the tomb to mourn. You remember the story of Edgar Allan Poe from Junior High Lit? You know, that he, he would sleep on his wife's grave. And and especially in this culture, people would mourn so much more openly than we do now. And people would often return to the grave. In fact, pretty soon there's going to be another grave that some of these same women return to after someone else has died. So Mary has been doing that, but she's not en route to the grave today. Let's look at verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, you know that Jesus sees you weeping? You know that he sees your pain and in, in those finalities in your life? When Jesus saw her weeping and all the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And he was troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asks. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus had known Lazarus. 
But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Can we see this kind of low-level faith? I know Jesus, he could have fixed this if he'd been here. But not yet the higher-level faith of, he still is going to fix this, and his plan is better than mine. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, man who was open with his emotions, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Not the last one of those we'll see. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is another claim to divinity, a claim that Jesus is God. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet still wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, if we had time to keep going in the story, we'd see that, sure enough, there were some eyewitnesses, verse 46 tells us, that see this and right away hightail it back to Jerusalem to tell the Pharisees. The Pharisees start putting together their plan to kill Jesus, and it's that plan that will, weeks later, come into play the week of Easter. It's that plan that will end up putting Jesus on the cross on Good Friday, this upcoming Friday. Let's pull out some principles from our text today. Here's the first one. When death and defeat find you, it does not mean that Jesus does not love you. I know you probably know that in your mind, but I want you to put yourself in the shoes or sandals of Mary and Martha. How how they must have felt. Jesus, we called for you. Why didn't you come? Is Is there a defeat or a situation where you feel abandoned by God? Where you feel like, God, I called out to you. You never showed up. If that's you today, if you're in Mary and Martha's position, remind yourself, just because there's death and defeat in your life, doesn't mean that God has forgotten you. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. In fact, death and defeat come into all of our lives. When in scripture we look at the people who who God just outright says, I'm well pleased with this person. I love this person. They're my chosen servant. They still have death and defeat in their lives. So, So don't fall for Satan's lie that death and defeat somehow mean that God doesn't love you. Because God does love you. Death and defeat mean that Satan, unfortunately, is still the prince of this world. And is still causing mayhem all around us until Christ returns for us. Did you notice in the story when it tells us that Jesus wept? And when when Mary falls down at his feet crying, how he's deeply moved with emotion, do you know that he's not insensitive to your pain? There's another lie from Satan that says, well, if Jesus hasn't showed up and healed your pain and fixed you, then he doesn't actually care about you. Well, that wasn't true for Mary and Martha, and that's not true for you. 
Next principle we can pull out, when God doesn't work at your speed, it's a sure sign that he has a better plan. When God doesn't work at your speed, it doesn't mean that he won't work. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten you. I wonder, is there a matter in your life where you've been insisting that God do it your way and on your timeline? This happens to me frequently. When I look back over my my prayer journal where I um, just keep items, you know, one line item with dates, there will be things that I agonize over and pray over and... Sometimes I even forget about them because they don't happen. And then a year later or two years later or three years later, very often they come into play. There's other times when they never do. And sometimes after the fact, I'll realize this was for my own good. I needed to, I needed to not have that success because I was finding my identity in that success. And it was a blessing from God that he didn't answer that prayer because he has a better plan for me to find my identity in him. And God doesn't work at your speed. It's a sure sign that he has a better plan. So go back to that nuance of Martha's faith. Martha has this total confidence. Jesus will set everything right in the end, and yet she grieves her pain in the moment. I think that's God's will for our lives. Jesus grieved. I love it that we're told Jesus wept. Later, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to say, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death, using every Greek word he can for depressed and sad. There's nothing unspiritual about going through a hard time and being honest about it. But there's something very spiritual about having the faith of Martha that says, as hard as this is, I trust that even if Jesus doesn't make it right tomorrow or next week or maybe never in this life, I know that he will make it right. And that's what faith is. We walk by faith, not by sight. Do you have faith that even if your healing or resurrection doesn't happen in your lifetime, that it will happen? You've heard the story of George Mueller who prayed for five of his friends to come to salvation for years and years and years. And by the time he died, two of them had. And the other three came to Christ after Mueller's death. But they still came to Christ. Do you have that kind of faith? God, I know that person I'm praying for. I know this situation that's broken, that you can fix it, that you will heal it. And even though I don't see it yet, and it's not on my timeline, Lord, I still believe you. That's what faith is. Next, and there's so many more principles we could pull out of this text, but next point on your outline, my final defeats. The things that for you are final, death is out of your control. Some things in your career are out of your control. Some things with your children are out of your control. My final defeats become Jesus' future resurrections. When I believe in his power and goodness. What does Jesus ask Martha? He says, do you believe? I told you guys I was going to reveal how this connects with Easter other than just the resurrection. If you have your Bible and you're in John 11, flip over to John chapter 12. And if you just kind of scan over that chapter, you're going to see that the chapter starts with a story. 
It starts with a story of Mary and Martha throwing a big party for Jesus in Lazarus' living room. Okay, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he goes back into hiding for a while. At some point, he comes back to Bethany. Mary and Martha throw him a party. And it's at this party, a story that maybe you've heard, where Mary takes this this alabaster jar of incredibly expensive perfume, estimated at a year's wages, so tens of thousands of dollars, this perfume. And she breaks it over Jesus' feet, and she washes his feet, which was common in that day, but she washes them with her hair. And you might remember in that story that Judas looks on and scowls and said, this, this isn't practical. This money could have been given to the poor. Of course, Judas is saying that because he took a commission on all the money that came in and kept it for himself. But Jesus says, no, no, this is a beautiful thing. I never realized before a couple things about that story. First of all, you realize that this perfume may have been perfume that was meant for one of Mary's return trips to Lazarus' grave. This perfume may have been perfume that would have been used anyway on her brother's gravesite, but it didn't have to get used because Jesus rose her brother from the grave. And as she sees her brother reclining there near Jesus, and they're, they're laughing, and they're, maybe Lazarus is wiping his mouth, they're eating, and they're drinking, and they're having a good time. Mary's so overcome with gratitude that she sees Jesus' plan was so good that she brings this tens of thousands of dollars worth of perfume and spills it on his feet and washes them with her hair. Now, there's something else incredible about this story. That incident in Lazarus' home on a Saturday night. You know what happened the next Sunday morning? The next Sunday morning, Jesus said to his disciples, find me a colt or a donkey. So they find one right there in Bethany. And Jesus gets on it. And he rides two miles into Jerusalem. Last night, he spent the night at Lazarus' house. Now he's riding into Jerusalem. Word gets out. People know where Jesus is. And all these people show up with palm branches and they start saying, Hosanna, here comes Messiah. This is Palm Sunday. And today you've learned the story of the night before Palm Sunday. Of course, five days later, Jesus would be crucified. A week from the day that he was at Lazarus' house, He's going to be in a tomb himself. And a week from today, Palm Sunday, that stone's going to be rolled away. Those grave clothes are going to be lying there. And Jesus will show to the whole world that he is the resurrection. He is the life. And for all of us who believe in him, he still works resurrections. Now, here's the nuance on that, okay? You'll hear some Bible teachers who might tell some really great emotional stories and explain these truths and then say, whatever you want, ask Jesus for. He's the resurrection and the life. What they're forgetting is that Lazarus still died. Mary died. Martha died. The 12 disciples died. In this life, their bodies broke down. Jesus' truth, the point that he was making over and over in the Gospels, is that his resurrection and life are an eternal one. 
What's the point of getting resurrected to live in a fallen world where, where people hate each other and bomb each other and there's death and murder? And, you know, what would be the point of having an eternal life down here? Jesus says, I'm going to give you eternal life and it's somewhere so much better, but it takes faith to believe that. So on this Palm Sunday, do you believe in him? Believing in him includes believing that his story is bigger and better than my small chapter. So I want a resurrection in my career. I want my kid who's sick to not be sick. I want my loved one who passed away to be back with me. And like Martha, am I going to have a faith that believes that my chapter, he, he cares about it. He weeps with me when I'm hurting. He's there with me in my pain, and yet his story's bigger and better. Well, I believe in him that way. Jesus' question to Mary and to you today is this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? In your heart of hearts, where only Jesus sees, do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And and if, like me, some days you think, I don't know, that's a little out there, you can pray to God and you can say, Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help me believe that you're the resurrection and the life. I, I do believe in you. Help me when I doubt. Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to raise their brother Lazarus from the dead, and he did as a picture to show us that he himself is the resurrection, is the life. One week from today, we'll celebrate that here. And of all the things in our lives, all the ups and downs, when we get into eternity with Jesus in heaven, none of them are going to matter anymore. Whether or not we got the house or the job or the car, it's all going to, we won't even care. But you know, the only thing that will matter is, is who's going to be there with you. So, so as we close and as we think about one week from today when we're here and I've told you we're going to have these incredible testimonies, it's going to be just a powerful presentation of the good news in Christ. Who in your life needs Jesus to raise them spiritually? Who in your life needs to be born again in their soul? Their body will still die just like mine will and yours will, but because they've trusted in Christ, they'll be with God for eternity. Who in your life fits that description, and are you going to bring them to Jesus next week? We still have our crosses here as we close. I'm about to close this in prayer. If you want to bring the name of that person up again, or if you weren't with us last week, we have, incidentally, 365 names on these three crosses, one for every day of the year. If you haven't brought the name of that person up to the cross, or if you want to bring it again, or even if you say, here's, the, here's the, the death in my life that I need resurrection from, and write it on a piece of paper, you're welcome to do that. I'll be up here doing that as we sing our closing song. Would you stand and pray together with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are not a figment of our imaginations. Thank you that you are not just a story Thank you that we know from history that you walked on this earth. You got our dirt on your feet and under your fingernails. You felt our splinters and our tears and our hunger. 
Lord, I believe when you stood there at Lazarus' grave, you wept. Even though you knew you were going to raise him from the dead, you still wept because it was just never supposed to be this way. Or if there was no Satan, if there was no wrong choice in the Garden of Eden, there wouldn't be sin and death and destruction in our lives. And God, we know from your word that you weep when the fallout of sin touches our lives. And we see the finality of death and brokenness all around us. Lord, in those moments, Lord, for everyone in this room, as they face their finalities and their deaths, Lord, our hearts can turn just one of two ways. We can turn away from you in bitterness and deny you and be angry towards you. Or we can turn toward you in faith, trusting that your story is bigger and your plan is better. So right now, I, just, I want to take my brothers and sisters by the hand and, and we want to turn away from mistrust and anger toward you. We want to turn toward you and trust you and like Martha, believe that the day is coming when you will resurrect all who've trusted in you and you are going to take us to a place where there is no more pain or death and we fix our eyes on that. And Lord, as, as we celebrate that, we know your, your, I know your Holy Spirit is putting names on our hearts of people who don't have that hope who don't know the resurrection and the life. And Lord, we're going to bring them to the foot of your cross again because it's it's just next week that we'll be here celebrating your good news. And and Lord, we don't want any of these people to miss the presentation of your forgiveness of our sins. So speak to us now. Bring us forward, those of us who need to come forward, to bring anything to this cross, these crosses. Will you be the resurrection and the life to us? We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.